This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand, the finale of our series, looking back at the 1991-92 run of events we had here in the Twin Cities. If you haven't had a chance to catch all of them, here is the chronology of everything that we've had on this show this week. Monday, I was joined by Brian Bellows of the North Stars from 1991 when they went to the Stanley Cup Finals. That was a, a late May event back then. Tuesday, Patrick Royce from the Star Tribune joined me to talk about the 1991 U.S. Open at Hazeltine. That was in June of 1991. Wednesday, Kent Herbeck, Twins legend, both from 87 and 91 World Series champions, uh, joined to talk about that 1991 World Series Classic against Atlanta. Really fun episode with Kent Herbeck. Thursday, talked about the Super Bowl that was here just, uh, you know, in, in January of 1992 at the Metrodome, everything that went into that. And today, talking about the Final Four with Chip Scoggins, that Final Four, again, that was uh, that was at the Metrodome just a few weeks after the Super Bowl. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let's get into it with Chip Scoggins right now on Daily Delivery. Another special edition of Daily Delivery, talking about the 1992 Final Four at the Metrodome, um, a building no longer standing. Seen a lot of good basketball games there, actually. I remember a little bit of the uh, 2001 Final Four. I remember the region final a couple years later. Um, Dwayne Wade with Marquette. That was a great, uh, great, uh, great tournament. Uh, not a bad venue for basketball once you got it all sorted out, but just it's weird to think about how much was at the Dome. Chip Scoggins joining me today to talk about the 92 Final Four in particular. And just, you know, Chip, before we get into that too deep, I want to ask you if you can you, as you think about sports right now, can you even imagine a market, not just having all these events that we talked about before, you know, the, the Stanley Cup, the World Series, U.S. Open, but can you imagine a market getting awarded the Super Bowl and the Final Four in the same year? <laughs> Which which we had that year. Yeah, that's it's yeah, it's it's crazy that it um that that it worked out that way and and no, I it's uh I I wish I was here. I you know, I came uh obviously about a decade too late for that. Um but that must have been just you know a crazy time here in the cities, but to have two massive events like that, you know, in one venue in the same year. No, I, I can't imagine that happening. Um, like, who decided we got to we got to come to the Metrodome in the dead of winter and early spring to play these two the two biggest events in American sports? Who decided? I that? know. Do they not do, do the different committees? They, I don't think they consult with each other. Like, hey, we're I mean, they do it so so many years out. Well, they plan those things probably back then, probably eight ten years out. Yeah, I think. I guess, yeah, because you know when they were planning them, the Metrodome was probably fairly new by the time they got. Yeah, there, exactly. So yeah, anymore. I know. And you're, I agree with you that for our for all of its warts, um, it wasn't a bad place to hold a big big event like that. Oh sure, yeah, it was and, fine. And they had the, I did two Final Fours in there. Was it the 2001 right? And then the yeah, uh, the 18 or whatever year when Virginia won it. Um, it, it was a good place, and I think people enjoyed. Maybe not our weather, but the the setup that they had um, in the Metrodome was was good for those big events. So the Final Four that was here, well, was, yeah, well, the with U.S. Bank Stadium, yeah, yeah, not, U.S. Bank Stadium was the, the one in eighteen. It won, and yeah. I guess it was nineteen that was in U.S. Bank Stadium, the eighteen nineteen sure. season. Yeah, um, the last one until this year, because imagine if the the pandemic had wiped out the one we were going to host. Oh, I know. After all that planning, but uh, 
92 final four neither one of us were here for it but i'm sure we watched a ton of the uh, the tournament leading up to it and just uh, what i want to focus on today is just you know ended up being duke and michigan in in the championship game which is you know kind of this you know storied program christian leitner uh, bobby hurley on that duke team michigan the, the fab five freshmen essentially with you know, led by Chris Weber, Jalen Rose, Jawan Howard. What I want, what I want to get from from this in particular is how fundamentally that Michigan team you think kind of changed the way we look at college basketball, and you know, kind of paved the way for you know some of these you know freshman sensations as they went forward. But yeah. also, you know, how rare it probably would have been to to keep that team together for more than one year, which they were able to do at that point. Yeah. You- a number of things. One, I think the thing that everybody always talks about was the fashion, right? Yeah. I mean, the baggy shorts, the black socks, we just hadn't seen that before. And so they were this kind of cultural uh, phenomena with uh, the way they wore their, their uniforms. And after that, we saw the baggy shorts and they kept, you know, by the end, I know the short shorts have kind of come back now, but the baggy shorts are down past the kneecap, you know? Um, But just the way they had such flair and such swagger um, that they kind of were just this rock star personality of a team. And the fact that they were all freshmen and, they had this bravado and trash talk and they were fearless. And I had read something one, one time and I I'd totally agree with that. Um, that this was the first time that was about all about the players, right? Before it was like coaches and you know programs. Yeah. Programs. Yeah. I mean, think about when Michael Jordan was a freshman. And what was the old joke that the only one that could hold him under 20 points was Dean Smith? Yeah. Right. You kept him under wraps. It was about the programs, about the coaches and all of a sudden, now you have these five uh, big personality freshmen who are flying up and down the court, and they had swagger and the long baggy shorts and the black socks, and there was just something new, something different. And the way they played and just the way they won, I think it just captured everyone's uh, attention. And this this was back when, you know, I I felt like college basketball was still you know, the tournament is always going to have a lot of eyeballs, but and maybe I'm, you know, I'm the old man, you know, screaming at the, the rain cloud here. But <laughs> I think the thing that that one of the reasons we fell in love with college basketball um, is because you got to know the teams because they stayed together for a long time, whether it was, you know, the Georgetown teams or those UNLV teams or uh, the Duke teams that Christian Leitner felt like he played forever. And either you come to love them or hate them, you know. Um, and all those – think about this. All those Michigan kids came back this next year. Yeah. That would not have happened. That would not no. happen today. Not a chance. You might have one of them come back. <laughs> and so for that second year, you know, they became this, this team you either loved or hate. And because we knew them. And it's, and I just don't know that we're going to have that in college basketball ever again, where you have freshmen that play at that level and are that good 
say, you know what, I'm coming back and playing the sophomore year. And so I don't know if that that was the last team I felt that way about. I'm sure there were more after that, but um, it was in that era where we felt like we knew the players more. It wasn't as basketball wasn't a layover to the degree it is right now. Um, so I think it was the fashion. I think is the the fascination of having five freshmen, which and that, that's the other thing. Did it change basketball? I think it changed basketball in the sense that you know the you didn't have to come and sit, and then by the time you're junior, sophomore, junior, senior, you could play. I mean, I'm sure coaches after that and high school talent said, "Hey, I can play as a freshman, and I can we can win a national title with." Even though they didn't win it, we can get to a national championship game with freshmen, with all freshmen, five of them. I mean, who would have thought before then that you could take a, a college basketball team with five freshmen and get to the national championship game? That was unheard of, right? You had to be an older team. That was the kind of the the model. You know, take your lumps early on in your career, and then you'll be better as you play more games together and you get older. And, and this team came in and said, no, nah, we're freshmen. We're going to go to the national championship game. So I think all these different factors really um, – made them an iconic group that even today, you know, I have high school kids, they know about the Fab Five and they've read the books and they, they realize kind of how unique that team was. Yeah. I think two points to that one. I mean, uh, they were probably a little ways removed from the, the freshman and eligibility rule, but I mean, there was a time when freshmen couldn't even play in sure. college basketball. And two, the, the talking about the iconic stature, and, and you know, we talk about you know, you hear athletic directors talking about, you know, and even university presidents talking about, you know, the athletics being kind of the the front porch to the school and kind of being the, the you know, what really puts a school on the map. I remember applying to the University of Michigan, probably in part because I, you know, when I was you know yeah. probably a sophomore when that Final Four was happening, like partly because. I, the basketball team was such a big deal and you knew a lot about this school because of their athletic prowess. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, it, it's the, the attention that they gained for that school and that program over those two years. I mean, I don't know. You could put a price tag on that. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 they became kind of the, and I'm sure there are people that just couldn't stand the way they played. Sure. You know, I'm sure they, I think I read something where uh, Jalen Rose after one of the, I don't know if it was to go to the final four again for second year, but they called themselves the villains or, you know, they referred to them. So they, they sort of embraced uh, that uh, kind of reputation that they had of, of um, being, you know, braggadocious and trash talking and, and, so, yeah, but it's, uh, I mean, just the attention that they brought to college basketball. I mean, it's, it's still today. I mean, I bet I, I would be willing to bet if you ask people of a younger generation, like high school kids now, you know, about five, five, did you say, did they win a national title? They'd probably say, yeah. Right. Even though they didn't, you know, right. they, got, they won. Yeah. They, they won. beat them pretty handily. And then, right. Uh, the second year, obviously, the Chris Weber timeout um, against North Carolina. Um, but no, they're still, I mean, I think the influence they had on, you know, a generation of players after them that, because it was, when did the one and done start, Mike, that was? Well, I was going to ask you that. After that. 
Because I feel like that kind of, even though they all came back and they tried to win a title together, you know, I feel like we started to see that not too long after that, that because they had such success as freshmen, then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of years after that, you had Kevin Garnett being the, yeah. you know, the nun and done. You started seeing a few more of the straight, you know, preps to pros guys. You started seeing more of the one and dones and, I kind of think that they were, you know, even though they weren't one and dones themselves by being so good and having such a high profile as freshmen that kind of maybe started a little bit with that Michigan team. Yeah, I would I wouldn't uh doubt that at all. I think probably just it it altered the opinion of uh freshman basketball players and that that they're ready. And that they could come in and play right away and, and be stars right away. And so, and then I'm sure you had a, you know, a younger generation of kids that were early teens coming up that were watching them. And then all of a sudden you have a Garnett or a Kobe, you know, that, that, that does the straight to the NBA. And so that obviously then that changes it too. But I, I think I'd be willing to bet if you talk to, a certain generation of kids. And I don't know who it would be that were a little bit younger than the fab five. I guarantee you, they absolutely said the way they played as freshmen shaped sort of how they viewed their career arc, that they didn't have to go to college for four years or three years that they could go in and, and, you know, be stars right away and, and wear the baggy shorts and, you know, play on big stage. So I, I think without a doubt, it changed the way people viewed freshmen coming in basketball players coming into college. Oh, what's extra fascinating too, is you think about like basketball now and, you know, Duke back then, which, you know, beat Michigan 71 51 in that championship game at the dome in 92. It was uh, what Cincinnati and Indiana were the other two programs there, you know, Indiana, another one of those storied programs. When you think about Duke now, I mean, back then, they were kind of one of those schools that had guys for three or four years, had these, you know, teams built kind of that way. You got to, you right. There was, you know, Grant Hill, Christian Leitner, you know, that Early, was the year yeah. that Leitner, you know, made the, made the shot against Kentucky to, to get to the, to get to the final four, even in that region final classic Duke by and large now is comprised of one and done guys. They're the McDonald's oh, yeah. all American team because they can recruit that way. And that's the way college basketball is gone. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, you think about that Duke team. I mean, heck, it felt like they played forever. Right. right? They kind of did. They did. Yeah. And, um, and that also showed, you know, Shashevsky, you know, he, he looked at it and realized, okay, that model is done. Every, you know, every, the, the thing to do now is get the one and dones. He kind of reinvented himself. They became like the model of right. the one and dones. And, and, but I, that's the thing now. And I, I do wonder with the one and done and the one-time transfer rule, if we're ever going to view college basketball in the way that we did when we had those teams that were together for multiple years, I just, I think the one thing that creates popularity and I'm not, I'm saying, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's the way of the world now, but um, I think the one thing that creates interest and attention on things is familiarity. And when you have, like I said, those Georgetown teams to get that were there for a long time and, and St. John's and 
the old, you know, Big East teams and the UNLV teams that were together for multiple years. And, and you just became familiar with them and like you either gravitated to them because you loved them or you, or you didn't like them because whatever, you just developed hatred for them. So college basketball now is so uh, topsy-turvy with these transfers and you're just not going to get the you're not going to get to know teams at all. I mean, teams are not, as, as I always said, back in the day, those teams grew together. Now they're thrown together. And yeah. there's, there's a big difference. And I just think that'll have an impact on the way people, I, the tournament always is going to be big every year. People are going to watch it. But I think just in terms of watching a, a season, I do wonder how much viewership will be down because people just feel like they don't know these teams or know who the players are. Yeah, I think it's a big shift in college basketball. You probably see it some in college football, but it's less noticeable. It's probably less seismic just because rosters are so big and you can't just, you know, it's hard to go to a new team and fit into a new scheme. Basketball, you can come in and kind of be an impact player right away to different schools. As long as you can play, as long as you learn kind of that system and can play with four other guys, you can pick that up in basketball and be an immediate impact player. So, you know, probably that makes what Michigan did, you know, 30, almost 30 years ago, even that much more, you know, amazing is that they were doing yeah. it at a time where a lot of these teams were together for two, three years. And, you know, here's these five guys who come in and all of a sudden they just, they're as good as anybody else. Well, and it, that was, I mean, I think we said, I mean, the narrative was, and I don't know how prevalent it was, but, oh, you couldn't win with five freshmen. I mean, how right. They're not, they don't have the experience, right? There's no way you can win with five freshmen. They, they need, you got to have experience. You got to be through the, the battles and all that. Right. And so this was something new. It was like, hey, you got five guys here, freshmen, they're doing these amazing things. And so you do wonder, like, it, did that change the way coaches their strategy? Not just, you know, obviously Michigan, but around the country, if they said, you know what, I can play freshmen. I don't have to have this be stuck in this model of, okay, I need to have a veteran team because that's the only way you can win. If, if they went out and told guys, I'd probably use it in recruiting. Hey, look what Michigan did, you know, come here and you can play right away. And, and they're, they're, we're not going to sit you for, you know, two years and make you bide your time. Um, so I, I do wonder how much I haven't analyzed it that closely, but I do wonder how much that went on in college basketball where coaches kind of ad, adapted the way they either recruit or coach. Nowadays, if you had five really good freshmen, you'd probably be a preseason favorite to win it all. <laughs> and then you know what? You would have five new players next year. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Chip Scoggins, <laughs> great stuff. Uh, thanks for helping us remember the 92 Final Four, but also just kind of how that, how that Final Four kind of set us up for the, the next 30 years of college basketball. Uh, appreciated you joining the special edition of Daily Delivery. Hope everybody enjoyed all of these as well. We'll be back next week with regularly scheduled episodes as the sports calendar uh, picks up fast and furious again. Chip, uh, have a great uh, rest of the summer. I'm sure we'll talk to you soon, all right? Thanks, man. Great stuff with Chip. Loved his, loved his perspectives. He was obviously a huge college basketball fan back then, remains that way right now. Uh, by way of uh, just tying some stuff together, here's a few other facts about that Fab Five Michigan team. You know, they were only like 17 and eight at the end of the, towards the end of that season. They started to get hot, and then they went on a big tournament run. So it wasn't like this team was just dominant from start to finish. They really kind of did need some time to build up to that. You know, and you could see their progression as the year went on. Um, specifically, 
by how they played the Gophers. They lost to the Gophers early in the year at Williams Arena, 73-64. But as they got hotter later in the season, they blasted the Gophers by 25 points in Michigan towards the end of that regular season. Um, The Fab Five was not their five leading scorers, as a matter of fact. Um, Obviously, Jalen Rose, Chris Weber, and Jawan Howard were their three top scorers. Jimmy King, another member of the Fab Five, was their fourth leading scorer. But Eric Riley, a uh, guy you probably don't remember all that much, you know, backup big man, he was their fifth leading scorer in in that season. And, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, Ray Jackson, who who was another member of that Fab Five, he only made 15 starts that year. Jimmy King only made 21 starts that year. So, the Fab Five took a little while to get together before they really became that unit. It wasn't just that starting lineup from the start of the season. Um, another indication of how long ago this was, they averaged about three three-pointers made per game. They attempted about 10 per game, Michigan did. And that was probably a decent amount back then, but uh, they didn't really shoot a lot of threes back then. So different the college game was. Even you know, even a young team like Michigan, even a, you know, a, a high-flying team, didn't really rely on the three that much to to win. They really really relied more on you know the fast breaks, their athleticism, getting up and down the court, and just the energy they brought to every game. Now, last thing I would re- be remiss if we didn't mention this. But eventually, both the '92 and '93 Final Four teams from Michigan had their accomplishments vacated because of a scandal involving Booster Ed Martin. You know, several several former players, including Chris Weber, a, a key member of that uh, that Fab Five. Uh, admitted to taking loans from Martin. So, you know, when you think about that time, you tend to forget kind of what happened afterwards or how that was all possible. But some of this was uh, was was uh, illegal transactions taking part because of a booster. And I wonder if that would happen in 2021 or if because of the new name, image, and likeness rule, the Fab Five would have made a ton of money without sanctions and maybe would have won a championship or at least had their accomplishments remembered without being vacated. That's all I got for you. I hope you guys enjoyed all week. This series we will be back with regular shows starting Monday next week. But, uh, you know, if you missed any of these, please go back and listen. They're all available. iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your finer podcasts, and also StarTribune.com. Download them all. Tell a friend. Write a review if you liked them. Let me know on Twitter at Ramball. Thanks for joining me all week, and we'll catch you again with our regularly scheduled programs on Monday.